0: My guest is uh, Michael Schmidt, Executive Vice President of Strategic Growth and Development at Gold Metal Environmental. And the website is goldmetal.net. So Mike, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me, Rich.
0: Yeah, so tell me about uh, Gold Metal. What what does the company do? What's the premise of it?
1: Yeah, so Gold Metal Environmental is it it's our traditional solid waste collection, recycling and processing company, but we also put a spin on it. Using technology to uh, manage food waste, which is one of the big problems uh, with landfills today, as well as using a technology that's uh, proven in Europe, and but we're bringing it to North America to better manage MSW and which is your your traditional waste that you throw it at the curb, to find ways to turn it into a fuel so that it's not going into a landfill. The the primary focus at Gold Metal is to provide the, the proven true, uh, landfill free, uh, or zero waste to landfill solution. Um, you have other technologies out there that will, will burn it, you know, right, take it from the truck and put it into an incinerator. Uh, other, other technologies try to recycle as much as they can, but they are not really able to, um, be a hundred percent landfill free or zero waste to landfill.
0: So you're focusing on preventing garbage getting to the landfill, but once it's at the landfill, are you trying to do anything with it?
1: We're not doing anything with the garbage that's at the landfill yet. Um, at some point, uh, if we, if this takes off the way we think it's going to take off, uh, and we want to start reclaiming waste um, from landfills, I think that might be the third or fourth generation of this project. But today, our primary focus is to take waste that's being generated, whether it's at household waste or uh, commercial companies across the country and bring that to one of our facilities and create a fuel product out of it in order to help reduce our um, uh, our, our demand for fossil fuels, or excuse me, our, our consumption of fossil fuels.
0: So um, who owns garbage? If I'm a, a regular person, you know, uh, when I throw the stuff in the can and put it out, who owns it throughout the, you know, throughout its journey? And then what about commercially? If I'm a a company and I throw stuff in our dumpster, again, where does the ownership change and what's the custody chain there?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. I think um, it it depends on on the different legalities with some of the types of materials. If we're talking about hazardous waste, uh, biohazardous waste, it's usually owned by the generator. Um, If we're talking about your traditional waste from from the house, uh, that's going to be picked up and controlled by your um uh, your waste collector uh you know like a gold medal, they'll become the uh, the owner of that material where they can they can put it really wherever they they see fit there are some commercial companies that will um require that material go to certain locations uh and that's mm. typically in a contract but for the most part once that trash hits the curb it's within our right uh to take it to the most logical place obviously it's got to be environmentally friendly and environmentally sound um otherwise right. we're we're all going to be in trouble but uh no that it's typically once it hits the curb it's going to be a traditional solid waste collection company that will take the ownership and and will be in charge of what what happens next
0: all right so what uh waste streams are you looking at which ones are going to be useful to you and from where commercial or residential
1: you know um Commercial residential waste streams are both useful. Um, uh, it, you know whether it's um, you know the, the stuff that you're throwing out, your traditional garbage bags full of you know wrappers and food and um, whatnot, as well as uh, construction and uh, demolition material that also has a value to us. It has a lot of wood that can be pulled out, It has metal that can be pulled out and recovered. Um, it has uh, heavy rigid plastics that can be pulled out and recovered and, and reused and other. Um, and other uh applications, so both uh, commercial residential as well as construction material are of interest to us, and that 's what we want to use uh go in in our processes and our plants.
0: well, you mentioned making fuel pellets um i don't think you can make that out of metal, so you know what are the major components of the waste stream, and what do you do with each of them? <clears throat>
1: the ma- yeah the major components of the waste stream you know uh, metal is you know a small piece 3 to 3 to 5% of the waste stream uh the other components you're going to have your food waste will be uh, 30 to 35% um you'll have a lot of plastic uh you know right now we're faced with this um china international recycling crisis that is uh, opening up a lot of eyes to what was has really been going on for a number of years you know, effectively, we're moving that what was really sort of trash to China and letting them sort through uh, the rubble, so to speak. Where now it's coming back to us, and a lot of that is the plastic that we once thought we could recycle. Uh, we really can't recycle. There's no markets for it. Uh, Nobody is using the plastic straws um, or some of the smaller little plastic film that we get on our packaging. Um, at, you know, at, at the grocery store, there's not a lot of markets for that. So that material unfortunately right now is making its way to a landfill um so plastic food waste um you know other uh fabrics uh, carpet and stuff like that we can use that and um in in
0: order to create a fuel out of it um through our mbt facility all right so you're taking um are there any particular types of plastics or are you able to take multiple kinds and meld them into a fuel
1: yeah we're we're Taking multiple kinds of, of plastic. Uh, what can be recycled, we will do uh, our best to make sure that that gets recycled and reused. Um, but we'll take all all forms of plastic, paper, uh, if that can't be recovered in a uh, in, in the best form possible. A lot of times paper's got grease or it's got water and it's wrecked, so there's not a lot you could do with it. Um, we'll take that, and help to create a fuel. We'll blend that with uh, other materials that will break down in the process and
0: and create a fuel product out of it. So what? Yeah, what, what is the fuel like? Is it like yeah. a, a low temperature burning fuel, or is, what could it be used for? Or what can it be used for?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the the fuel is a has it's a supplement to coal. It's got similar BTU content to coal. Um, it's about a, a ton and a half of this fuel. It's called solid recovered fuel SRF. It's an EPA recognized fuel. It cleans burn. It, excuse me, burns cleaner than coal, and it's recognized by the EPA as a fuel product. Um, and the the process is, it will come into one of our facilities. It's a mechanical biological treatment is the type of facility, and then the technology that we use is a HEBIOT technology, um, which H E B I O T um, in that technology helps the it brings the waste stream in breaks it down uh sorts it by size uh it's all done through um computers and um sorting systems and then it will pick the material up and it will actually lay it out into a row of a five hundred ton row of material, and that material will then lay in its location for about. Uh, Ten to fourteen days, and during that time uh w- the the process will blow air through it and suck air through it. it will help to dehydrate and take all the water out of it and it will also help to take all the uh all the chemicals that the chemical reactions that occur when waste breaks down it will capture that and move it into a uh, really sort of a bag house for the lack of a better phrase where it will clean that air um and then after that ten to fourteen days, what you have is a is a product that has effectively broken down, it's been dehydrated, it's been decomposed, and you're left with a a, a dry material that will then we will re and re reintroduce some other things such as treated woods and stuff like that that could not be recycled. We couldn't recover that material and in, in order to keep it from going to landfill, we will then reintroduce it with this material, grind it up, and it it looks like a uh, similar to uh, gray insulation. So Owens Corning, if you were to if you go and you open it up and you see that that pink insulation, if it was if it was gray, that's what this looks like. It's got little bits of paper and plastic and wood and and other things in there that um, yeah. It's very light. And then you'll they'll pick this stuff up and they will they will transport it to a cement kiln or any other uh, facility that uses coal uh, for energy,
0: mm.
1: and will blow that in again as a supplement to coal. It's got similar BTU content to coal. So as I mentioned early on, it would help to reduce the reliance on on dirty coal and on fossil fuels.
0: But uh, what kind of applications can take it? Which ones can't? Are there certain facilities that you're know, like, all right? So when this stuff gets burned, what kind of um fumes does it create and what do you have to do to scrub them to be compliant environmentally See, versus coal. The,
1: yeah, that's the beauty of it is that you don't need uh the same type of scrubbing that you do for coal. Um mm. it's it's a much cleaner fuel and the again recognized by the EPA as a, a clean fuel, um you don't need those uh you don't have the same level of air quality restrictions and air quality uh permits and uh, regulations that dirty coal, uh, requires when you're burning it. Um, yeah, so it's, that's really what it's pretty exciting about is because if, unlike if you were to take your trash today and go right to an incinerator, that's a wet material. It's got all the toxins, it's got the dioxins that are in it. So when you go to an incinerator and you're burning that material, you're creating a number of chemical Reactions and that's when air quality gets involved. The EPA gets involved, and that's what is really the concern with uh, with RDF or refuse derived fuel at an incinerator. the The um, really cool thing about our process is that as that material breaks down, we're capturing all those chemicals, all those things that naturally occur through the decomposition of the waste, and we're cleaning that through our our, our baghouse. And so you don't have the same Type of chemicals in the material anymore that would uh result in the um the air quality concerns as you do on incinerators from the front end
0: well do you recover the um you know the the stuff that's burned off and do something with it or is it just cleaner and you don't have to do much with it like what do you have to do
1: in terms of uh when you recover what's burned off you know at the end at, whether it's at a, a cement kiln or um, uh, coal-fired energy plant is that that what your question is pointing to or?
0: Yeah, well, well let me back up. So, where does your um, your RDF tend to be used? Is it being used yeah. at uh, coal plants? Like, what? Who are the the biggest end users of it?
1: Yeah, the biggest end users right now are uh, cement kilns. Um, so, in the manufacturing of cement, uh, they use a tremendous amount of energy, and that energy historically has been um, generated uh through the burning of coal and in europe they are familiar with this technology they're familiar with this this uh, srf and so they've used it with a number of cement kilns you can also use it at uh, coal-fired power plants right now uh we have our operation that will be starting and uh really at the end of this year beginning of january we are have a an agreement with a cement kiln boy i want to say it's a about 5 to 5 to 10 miles away from our plant that will be taking all of our um all of our product. And so right now it's going to be it's set to work at a cement kiln. It can work at a coal-fired power plant as well uh by blowing in this um this uh, solid recovered
0: fuel. Yeah, so I guess you'd have um you know, four things. So the heat generated from mm-hmm. the fuel that is used to make the cement, then the um the waste heat maybe is used for something else. Then the resultant uh, burned material, you know, whatever's left, the detritus, the debris, whatever you call it, and then the um, the fumes that come off of it. Yeah. So what you know, what do you do with like all four of those? Things? Well, three of them obviously. One of them is used to make the cement, but you know, what happens in a coal plant differently with your fuel versus uh, traditional coal? Yeah, it, is the big difference stuff... in in what's left, or is it in the um, the fumes that come off of it?
1: The fumes are are much less than what comes off coal. Um, uh, they're, you know, they're still fumes, so I don't want to say you want to stick your head over and start breathing them, but they, they are Ugh. significant they're significantly cleaner. I mean, you're still going to have plastic. You're still going to have wood, uh, pieces of you know, plastic and wood and paper in that, in that product. So you're going to be generating, um, a, a fume off of it, but it's going to be significantly cleaner than coal. Again, as it breaks down through the process. Uh, we're you know at our plant at the MBT facility we're capturing a lot of the toxins uh, through the uh, decomposition of the waste we're capturing that so that stuff's not burning off into the atmosphere and what you're left with is really a, a a very clean burning product that the fumes that are coming off are are not nearly as um dangerous to our environment as as coal is um then in terms of the ash and what's left, this stuff will burn uh, significantly faster um, and you're not going to have nearly the same amount of ash that you will from uh, from coal. You're still going to have an ash product and that's eventually going to have to be used um, you know, in Europe, particularly in Germany, they have a, a moratorium on any landfills and all a lot of their energy is created through the burning of waste. Um, and that ash then makes its way to the landfill. That's the only thing that can go into the landfill. In, you know, Obviously in the U.S., um, we don't have that restriction, but what you'll see from uh, if a cement kiln burns this material, you'll have ash that's left over that has to be managed and treated. Uh, typically will go to a landfill, uh, but the amount of material that uh, from that comes in our door at our MBT facility, and ultimately makes its way through the process and then to a landfill is, you know, we're talking, um, you know, percentage points of what's left over, uh, negligible. So if you bring in 100 tons, we're talking about a very, very, very minor amount of material that actually will make its way to a landfill. Uh, again, focused on trying to divert as much as possible from landfill
0: yeah no that's great that's excellent so uh, so you're picking up um essentially refuse from again um is it residential or commercial in order to make this or is it's it both. both have you found yep, one it's set both. Of the other? it's
1: both
0: okay and i guess you know, obviously you wouldn't do this if it wasn't profitable what about um taking from landfills is that
1: you know i, I think
0: it's a question who who owns the stuff that's in a landfill is it the mm-hmm. i guess the landfill owner right yeah, the the landfill
1: owner owns the material in the landfill and Frank, you know, in uh early 2000s when commodity prices were really high, you saw companies like Waste Management and Republic actually going back into their landfills and reclaiming material that they knew they could put through one of their recycling facilities and pull out those materials, you know, plastic, uh in and then sell create a, a market or sell to a market and make money. So it if, if these landfills, you know, uh, um you have either privately held landfills a waste management or a um public services and then you have municipal landfills whether it's, you know, um uh you know, Cumberland County, New Jersey or uh you name it, that municipality will own the landfill and they ultimately own the waste that's in it. Um a lot of times, though, that material you know, and I don't want to get too far off the path on an environmental discussion. A lot of times that material, if it's toxic uh and there's a problem at the landfill where the e p a needs to come in, they will look at the different manifest sheets to see the material that came in and then trace back to where that material originally or' gonna be originated from. So if it's a big automotive company, for instance, and they see that this company was one of the big customers that was dumping at this landfill, and this landfill happens to have some sort of a toxic issue, they will go back to that company for funds to help clean up, the, you know, the, the site. But you know, I think in sort of the spirit of your question, who owns the waste there? It's generally that that landfill operator is the the owner of the material there.
0: So, what does it look like the economics will be of going to landfills and saying, "Hey, give me your garbage," you know, either we'll pay you for it or you pay us so that you have more capacity versus getting it from residential and commercial.
1: You know, that would be, you know, it. We've never looked that far, and I think, as I, you know, as I mentioned early on, you know, that's probably third or fourth order uh, of action. Right now, it's we've got enough on our hands today take that material uh, and keep it out of the landfill uh, first and foremost and then you know we'll have the first facility uh, in the country that is has this technology that can take material and create a fuel product out of it now there are a lot of other technologies out there I would say ours happens to be the most cost effective and frankly the simplest Um, you've got some other technologies out there that uh, cost a lot of money you know Hundreds of millions of dollars to build a facility, and then to keep that that facility going, demands a lot of material to come in all the time. Um, our facilities, you know, they range between 35 to 50 million dollars to construct and, uh, and 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 get up and running. You know, why that's significant is a landfill could cost 10 million dollars just to permit a new site. And then another couple million dollars every year. And where our facilities differ from a landfill is that we're not consuming more and more land. As you bring the waste in, that waste comes in, it breaks down and the waste moves its way out. Unlike a landfill where you bring the waste in, it breaks down and it stays there. And then you're just piling more waste on top of it ultimately mm. then resulting in what i believe to be one of the biggest problems that we're facing is a growing population and the demand for land um demand for land for agriculture demand for land for people for housing and and settlement and then you have oh by the way all this waste that's being generated by this growing population and there will if we stay the course and continue to use landfills those will be conflicting with our needs for land for agriculture, our need for land for development, and and just to live. So having a facility like this is uh, I'm really excited to be a part of it. I Moved here uh, from Texas a couple of years or a couple of months ago to be a part of something like this because you look out on the horizon and say, boy, we're we're solving we're we're putting a solution in place today that should address the problems that we think are going to occur 20 or 30 years from now, there's no reason to wait. Cause when we wait, I mean, I'm sure you sit back and think about, you know, how many years ago you did, you know, you were a kid or, you know, how, how, how fast time flies, you know, time flies really quick. And if we were to sit around and wait until 2040 with a solution, you know, the, the problem will only get worse. So um, that's why, you know, Today is a really cool time to start. The technology's out there, and we've got enough enough waste today, and there are enough landfills that are running out of airspace that they're not looking to permit any more landfills. So now seems to be the the perfect time for something like this to come along. Of course, I'm a little bit biased, Rich.
0: Right? Yeah. No, I, I understand. <laughs> um, so your goal right now is to what expand your coverage, your collection coverage, where you're getting the garbage from.
1: Our goal is to, yeah, to right now we are, uh, we cover, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, parts of DC and some other, uh, pockets of, of Virginia. Hmm. Our goal is to identify where we are currently operating. And, you know, this technology, uh, is not cut out for rural Missouri, um, you know, the uh, landfill tipping rates are a function of uh, population density and um, and location so uh, much like anything in real estate it's uh, driven by location if you have a landfill let's say in the new york or even in california uh, large population and you know people don't want landfills in their backyard so the cost to build and develop a landfill is ex- very expensive the that Expensive cost results in very expensive tipping fees. Um, so we're focused on putting our facilities right now in markets where uh, economically they're supported. Uh, again, we're, not, we're probably not going to put one in North Dakota anytime soon. There's not a big population out there and, and where the landfills are located, the tipping fees are actually pretty cheap uh, because of the uh, vast amounts of land available to develop landfills. So our focus you, right now is predominantly the Northeast.
0: Okay. Um, so you'll take the place of uh, someone's garbage collection, you know, at their house
1: from mm-hmm.
0: the city. We're,
1: we're currently doing that right now. Um, we currently collect uh, garbage from uh, thousands of residents throughout New Jersey, West Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, in um, and and uh, Virginia, and we take that material now. A lot of that material is making its way to traditional uh transfer stations and ultimately to landfills in new jersey um it's it, you have what's known as flow control where the state of New Jersey they own a lot of these municipalities own the landfill and they mandate that the material that is collected in that certain city that town that county that material goes to that county landfill or the designated landfill that the the that uh, the county uh, uh selects and so What's happening, though, is a lot of these landfills are running out of airspace. And so now the counties are faced with a decision. You know, flow control was great, and that's what it's called. Uh, it was it was great at a time when you ha- they had significant amounts of airspace, and, you know, they were able to charge uh, good rates, and they were making money on it, and they could pay everybody very well. Well, now the, you look down the horizon and say, boy, five years from now, a lot of those landfills are going to be either out of airspace or um, getting close to running out of airspace. So what's the solution? And, you know, um, again, we think we've got a a really cool solution. And again, it's proven. It's something that's going on in Europe right now. We're not coming with some magic black box that uh, we say we hope it works. No, we've seen it work. It's worked. There's uh, 11 of them in Europe right now. So we know by bringing this technology over to markets like the Northeast that have similar demographics and similar uh, environmental focuses that Europe does. That's why we think it fits in, you know, the northeastern United States. California is a great, a great market for this. Uh, the, the the Pacific Northwest would be a fantastic
0: market for this. I thought that the uh, the mob controls all the garbage. I guess that's no. a period
1: huh? <laughs> <laughs> There's some truth to that in the past. There's some truth. My last name is Schmidt, you know, I'm not uh I'm not in the mob, never been, never will be. Uh there was truth to it. And um yeah, you know, it's it, it's a fact. You can look it up. There are some folks that exp- that were in, uh, involved in that, but that has that's gone by the wayside. That doesn't exist anymore. Um now it's uh you know, with You know, with the advent of the big companies, the Waste Management, the Republics, the Waste Connections, um, you know, they professionalize garbage and they're doing it the right way uh, to an extent. Um, They've invested a lot in landfills over the years because that's where the cash flow generation has always been. And you asked earlier on talking about economics. uh, Economically speaking, landfills have always been the way to go. They've been the cash flow generators for a lot of these companies. Every waste company that I've ever been involved with, the goal has always been to get a landfill. Because if you can control your disposal, you can control your cash flow, you can control your margins, you know, it's really you become a vertically integrated business. Um so their issue though, and I would call it maybe their Achilles heel when working with a company like us, is that they have to get that volume into their landfill. They have a significant amount of capital invested into those sites So they have to make sure that 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 trash continues to get in there because that's where their cash flow is generated. We don't have a landfill. That's not our focus. Our focus is to create uh, really sort of the country's first renewable landfill um, where that material comes in, breaks down. We ship it out. We sell it as a fuel product, making room for that next batch of uh, trash to come back in. We break it down, we ship it out, and we sell it again.
0: Uh, do you get um, people who actually pay you? They pay you just like they pay the city to take the garbage? Or do we have to pay to do this?
1: Uh, no, this, uh, our customers pay us um, directly. We have uh, contracts with municipalities where the municipality will charge uh, the residents in the tax uh, or in their their water bill. Uh, yeah, there's there's different forms of being paid by our customers. We have resident residential customers that will pay us directly as well. Uh, just different different ways of, of payment uh, for different types of services.
0: Are you able to do different incentives for people? You know, like municipalities are always getting people to recycle, but um, can you incentivize them in a different way? Can you charge people, um, you know, based on the amount of trash that they generate? And charge them more yeah. for more trash, for instance, and change behavior yeah. that way.
1: Let's yeah, we do. Uh, commercial customers, uh, it's easier to do than a residential customer. That's just really sort of competition. It's tough to do. But with a commercial customer, uh, if you generate more trash, one of the bigger components of the waste, uh, of the cost of waste, is the disposal side. So if you generate, you know, 50 tons of trash a month, my and I pick it up, my cost to dispose that 50 tons is going to be higher than, let's say, your your other business down the street that generates five tons a month of, of trash. So the disposal cost is going to be different. So each company's overall trash cost or what I will bill will be different. So yeah, if, there are plenty of different companies have different uh, amounts of trash that they generate monthly and annually. So we do charge that way. I will tell you though, Rich, a a lot of companies, if a company is generating that much trash, frequently the trash bill is a small piece of of their overall bill and their overall expenses. So they're not too worried about it. So what we're trying to do is focus on other incentives that will help bring that cost down further. Uh, You know, we're working with the University of Temple where we have not only our MBT facility that, again, is not online until the end of this year, but we have food waste digesters. And what that is allowing uh, Temple University to do is they can take a lot of that food waste that naturally would go into the container and they would be charged for the weight and they would be charged for the ultimate disposal. We put that into uh, a digester that weighs the material for them and we'll break it down, digest it just like your stomach, and it will move it into uh, just onto the wastewater treatment center, just down the drain. Um, again, works like your stomach, so the, what goes in is food. What goes out is much like your stomach. Um, goes right into the wastewater treatment center, and it gets processed from there. The beauty of that is we're able to take that food waste out of the waste stream, and instead of going to a landfill and occupying land and occupying space, we're putting in a wastewater treatment center. That's getting broken down. The material is predominantly water, anyways. but is in food, you know, a lot of the produce that goes in there—cucumbers, vegetables, whatnot—breaks down into about 70% of it is water, anyways. And we're able to, to recapture that water. That gets recirculated back into the into the water stream. And then the rest is really a biosolid that will then break down and be used either as a fertilizer. Uh, some places are using it for um, for uh, for a um, for food for animals uh, for a feed uh, but again, that is then making its way back through the process uh, it, Our digesters then are able to also provide a lot of data to our customers in terms of what they're throwing out by weight uh what they're throwing out by type of material um, restaurants. Uh, Chefs are able to make better buying decisions going forward. And the significance of that is they're able to then make better environmentally conscious decisions about what to buy in the future, reducing the overall demand for food. uh, Look, it's a beautiful idea if we can get everybody to have a food waste digester and they can all find a way to um, not buy nearly as much food, and then it reduces how much food and agricultural demands on, uh, on on the population, or the, excuse me, the population demands. That's kind of right. the utopian dream, right? That we can get everybody to use some sort of food waste digester and help not just divert all the food waste from a landfill, but also make better decisions going forward so we're not throwing out as much food. We're not wasting as much food. And ultimately, we don't need as much uh, agricultural demand that we do today.
0: All right, and then uh, just one or two more questions. Do you get yeah. any resistance from the municipalities when you say you want to start picking up garbage instead of their current provider? Um, you know, a lot of municipalities will do it uh,
1: themselves, and it's a uh, it's a way to uh, you know to be honest, it's a way to employ uh, voters. And but a lot of municipalities have seen that. It, they don't do it very efficiently. Um so, uh, so they when they go towards a private uh private company, they they there is a little bit of, of pushback usually from the uh, the laborers, the folks the, the, the truck drivers and uh the folks that are doing the work. But uh most often we end up hiring them and they work for us. And then the city realizes a significant savings uh, annually, whether it be through labor, uh, but predominantly through uh, capital expenditures for buying new trucks and replacing new trucks and buying tires and fuel. So you get a little pushback, but not, um, not a lot.
0: And what's in store for the next six months or a year for you guys? So the next six months, we'll
1: see our mbt facility will be up online in west virginia and we'll start to see that uh bearing some fruit we'll see material going in there and we'll be able to uh show a lot of other municipalities that have expressed interest but they're hesitant because they've seen a lot of uh a lot of companies come in and and show them some sort of fancy new uh gadget and it's it hasn't worked and they've been burned So the next six months we'll see our MBT facility come online and we'll probably see three or four more municipalities um, sign up for an MBT facility in there to replace their landfill um, uh, over the next, you know, as their landfills start to run out of space, uh, find a way to to have our MBT facility technology come on online. Also uh, I see uh, more food waste digesters as we get, uh, you know, our name out there and our customers start to understand that we're looking to do more than just the traditional garbage company of picking it up and throwing it out. Uh, I I see a pretty hefty growth in our food waste digesters across our commercial customers, universities, hospitals, uh, penitentiaries across the country um will start to take on more of these food waste digesters.
0: All right, that's great. So what's the best way for interested folks to get in contact with you? The best
1: way for people to get in contact with me um would be through email. Or with the company. Yeah, do uh, you want to learn more about the company? You know, we have uh, goldmetal.net is our website. Uh we also have Lori, help me out. You you and Lisa work closer on this stuff. Well, I think we've got um uh, Facebook page, we have a uh a Twitter account, uh gold medal. Uh, do you know what it is, Lori? I'm I'm not that I'm I'm not on the social media side of of, of this. So I know Lisa I can is,
0: forward it to Rich afterwards.
1: Yeah, perfect. Perfect. And then um if anybody wants to get a hold of me and learn more, I'm happy to, to address any questions uh through through email. My email is mschmidt.com. At goldmetal.net, and I'd be happy to uh, to talk to anybody further about some of the things that we're doing, and you know how we can how we might be able to help provide other solutions. Well, Mike, that's
0: great. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Absolutely,
1: Rich. Again, I appreciate you having me, and uh, I hope it was uh, hopeful was uh, educational, and um, I look forward to uh, to talking to your uh, uh, your audience.
0: You have been listening to Almost Here